Oh my god, it's time for another podcast. After so long. After uh, several minutes. Ah, well, more than several minutes. What's that, an hour? I'm not sure. I'm not going to go back and check when I did the last one. This is the second of two back-to-back tapings. Welcome to another episode of Crash, the UK Geek Podcast. This is episode 435, recorded on Thursday the 28th of April 2022 at 012718. I had to retape the time because my stomach just went... I don't know why I'm telling you that. I'm feeling a bit weird. I'm both exhausted and hyped up from all this taping. I was standing up to tape the last episode, which is what I usually do. I am just too tired to do that. I'm sitting on my squeaky chair, so I do apologise if I inadvertently move and make a squeaky noise. Ah, okay. Let's start with some addenda. In pod 429, when we talked about the Doctor Who story City of Death, I argued that perhaps The Caves of Androzani was a better story, but I completely forgot about The Robots of Death, which I think is also qualitatively better than City of Death. I'm saying that because many fans widely regard, apparently, City of Death as the best ever adventure. However, whether I said The Robots of Death was the best episode ever back when I rewatched it in 2021, who the hell knows? I've been revisiting classic Doctor Who for so long now. <laughs> Do my homework for me. Go back and listen to Crash 375, if it was even called Crash back then. The Robots of Death. Another thing I forgot to mention last time was that Douglas Adams convinced his fellow Cambridge Footlights alumni, John Cleese and actress Eleanor Bron a name you might not be familiar with. I wasn't that familiar with that name, although I've seen some of these films. She was in the Beatles film Help, Alfie, Michael Caine, Bedazzled, Peter Cook, and was also Cara in Revelation of the Daleks, which I can't remember her in that role, to do an uncredited cameo as a pair of pompous art critics when they are examining the TARDIS at the Louvre in Paris, and giving their judgment of the TARDIS as a work of art. Seeing John Cleese playing a pompous art critic. Oh, the irony, Cleese, the irony. Is the irony sharp and pointy and stabbing you in the bum, Johnny? Ah, okay. Going even further back to pod 418... John Leeson, we're going to be talking more about him later on, 
the voice of K9, played a Sons of Earth sympathizer in The Power of Kroll. I only thought of him because of his absence for the rest of season 17. Again, we'll talk about that in a bit. What is it with all these addenda announcements that I make? Look, if you are a podcaster or prospective podcaster, do not do what I do. Here's a tip. Don't write long essays. Instead, write concise show notes. Then you won't have to go through this total palaver as often as I have to. It's probably too late for me to change now, so maybe I'll stick to doing it as I do it. On the other hand, please remember, if you're thinking that I'm just reading from a script, I'm not. The words that I'm saying right this second are not part of my show notes. Though the subject of the tip is, I never just say things verbatim reading from my show notes. Since we're in the pre-show section, and I mentioned this a little earlier when I was doing pod 434, I am exhausted. Right now, it's all I can do not to let my hands shake. I'm so tired because I tackled the garden hedge, which it's only a slight exaggeration to say that it is J.K. Rowling's hedge size hedge. If you can think that far back to the minor scandal of J.K. Rowling's oversized hedge, which she grew to protect the privacy of her family and then the council or the neighbours took against it, they are incensed that she should have such a big hedge. My hedge is only slightly shorter than that, and it's a man-killer. I also shopped... I watched this Doctor Who story yesterday, and I wrote up the show notes, then started taping just before midnight, and now I'm taping again. I am completely whacked out. Is that a phrase? I was thinking of gleefully boozing up and doing these two episodes. Frankly, if I had done that, I would have fallen straight to sleep at the mic. I also considered painkillers, which would have had the same effect. And in any case, I had to take antihistamine earlier today, so that wouldn't have been a good idea. And to cap it all, to make the pains and aches even worse, I actually took some caffeine. Ah, all this to make this podcast for you. I hope you appreciate it. Ah, I did smear myself in old people ointment. That is ointment for joints, not actually made out of old people earlier today. Why am I explaining that? Okay, today we are talking about the Doctor Who story from 1979, titled The Creature from the Pit. As usual, let's start off with some cast, crew and production notes. The Fourth Doctor was played by Tom Baker. His companions are Romana 2, the second version of Romana, aka Romana 2, played by Lala Ward. 
I mention that because I'm going to talk about that briefly later. K9, his robotic dog, played by, for a change, a chap called David Briley, who temporarily took over until and including the story Sharda. So he took over for the rest of 1979. The Doctor says, explaining K-9's change of voice in The City of Death, that it is due to laryngitis. The director was Christopher Barry. The writer was David Fisher. David Fisher was a Tom Baker regular. He wrote The Stones of Blood from 1978, The Androids of Tara from 1978 also, and A Gamble with Time, which was completed and re-edited and altered by Douglas Adams and Graham Williams and became The City of Death from 1979. For that particular story... The credited writer was David Agnew, which is what they do, the production team, when there's been a total cock-up with the writing credits. The producer was Graham Williams. I usually tell you about locations. I forgot to do the research, so I just had to quickly Google. And according to what I found on DoctorLocations.net... This was filmed indoors, largely at Ealing Film Studios, Stage 3B in Ealing, and KJP Trading, I almost said KGB Trading, which was formerly the BBC's visual effects department in Acton. There was also filming at BBC Television Studio at Shepherd's Bush, According to what I'm reading, Studio TC8. And all that filming took place between March and April 1979. Regarding the broadcast, this is Story 106 and Serial 3 of Season 17, consisting of around 25-minute episodes. It was first broadcast from the 27th of October to the 17th of November 1979, following The City of Death, which we talked about in pod 429. Why do I insist on saying we talked about it? I talked about it in pod 429. And if I had some listener comments, you could talk about it too. Hint. On to our usual segment on this day in the UK. What was happening on the day of the first broadcast of episode one of this adventure in the UK? Just to give us a flavour of the time, the zeitgeist, St Vincent and Grenadines became independent of the UK. Today, in that country, it is a public holiday celebrated as Independence Day. And now you're thinking to yourself, St Vincent and the Grenadines, where is that? Sorry about that, the traffic and my stomach is getting louder. Where were we? Yeah, St Vincent and the Grenadines. It is a set of teeny tiny islands off the top middle bit of South America. 
which sounds very warm, tropical and piratey. Oh, this is a trial and a half recording this today. I'm moving all over the place. <sighs> My leg's itching, I had to press pause. I need a pause foot pedal. That'd be great, a pause foot pedal for audacity. Enough waffle. Before I tell you what happens, let me play you a brief audio clip, which is 15 seconds or less for copyright reasons. I'm aping what they say on Desert Island Discs. I hope that works. Although, and this is a slight tangent again, I'm planning to do stuff on YouTube, maybe film myself taping these shows, and I'm not sure what's going to happen with the clips. But let me think about that when the time is appropriate. And let me stop doing wild tangents and get back to the show. Okay, I'm going to roll an audio clip in three, two, one. I see a creature coming to you from beyond the start. I have a score to settle. <sighs> so I think have we. <gasps> I hope you enjoyed that. Let us now talk about what happens. In The Creature from the Pit, we open on a scene of a man being cast screaming into a pit. The next scene is in the TARDIS, where Romana, sorting through the Doctor's collection of junk, plugs in a Time Lord distress receiver into the TARDIS's console. This immediately elicits an unpleasant sound and sends them hurtling into a jungle on the primitive planet called Chloris. The Doctor and Romana go off to explore, and the Doctor finds a huge egg emitting familiar sounds of distress. But before he can look into this any further, the pair are captured by an armed party, which includes a character called the Huntsman's specially bred wolfweeds. Yes, the image in your mind is completely correct. Aggressive tumbleweeds. The party is then attacked itself by metal-stealing bandits, who also make off with Romana. The survivors of the attack take the Doctor to their leader, a person called Lady Adrasta, who, through her control of metal production on the metal port world of Chloris, rules the planet. Lady Adrasta tasks him with learning more about the egg. In the meantime, Romana, captured by those bandits, tricks them into using a dog whistle, which calls K-9, who rescues her. Unfortunately, Romana is soon captured by Lady Adrastra as the Doctor leaps into the pit to investigate. Within the dark hole, he meets a fraudulent old court astrologer, a chap called Organon, who was cast into the pit which turns out to be mine workings, by his latest and former employer, Lady Adrasta. 
I'm having a lot of trouble saying Lady Adrasta. Anyway, sorry about that digression. The Doctor and Organon, which is a terrible name, meet the creature in the pit, finally. It is a fleshy, globular creature, a consumer of chlorophyll, and an excreter of metals. They initially have difficulty communicating with a creature which has no visible sensory organs, or organs with which to communicate with, like a mouth, though it later uses a protrusion from the mass of its body to draw the shield from Lady Adrasta's throne room. Meanwhile, Lady Adrasta and her people come after the Doctor. That shield drawn by the creature is significant because it is a communication device. It is brought forth by the bandits under its control following their looting of the palace and attached by the bandits to the creature. The creature then speaks through the Doctor when he makes contact with the shield and says... It is a Tythonian ambassador named Erato on a mission to trade metal for chlorophyll. Which makes sense because Chloris is a jungle planet, poor in metals. The egg, we find out, is its spaceship. He, or it, or she, was imprisoned in the pit so that Lady Adrasta could retain her sole control of metal. The huntsman betrays his mistress and looses the wolf weeds on Lady Adrasta, and Erato finishes the job by squashing her. I had to break for a few minutes to <laughs> wait for some extraneous noises to abate. Where were we? Okay, yeah. The planet Tythonos, which is angered by the loss of its ambassador, Erato, have sent a neutron star to crash into Chloris's sun. Erato agrees to engulf the neutron star with aluminium so that the TARDIS can use a gravity beam to fling it into space. I'm not sure about the science of that. This plan works, and the Huntsman is left in charge on Chloris. Chloris can now look forward to a bright future and peaceful trade with the Tythonians. And that is it for my breakdown of what happened in The Creature from the Pit. Let me now move on to what I thought. The actor Myra Francis, who also played Anne Tranter in Terry Nation Survivors from 1975, an excellent drama, which we may one day cover, is delightfully evil and sexy as Lady Adrasta. She's a sort of female Russian oligarch, her metal wealth ostentatiously displayed 
in her blingy attire, which includes this fabulous belt, and she's got this jewellery, and her wealth is literally painted on, or at least around, her face. Which is finished in a kind of silvery design that outlines that wealthy visage. The Huntsman and Wolfweed Handler, played by an actor called David Telfer, reminded me immediately I saw him with his Wolfweeds of Starbuck from Joan D. Vinge's The Snow Queen, which, in turn, immediately made me associate Lady Adrasta with the equally cruel Snow Queen Ariane Rod. By the way, Joan D. Vinges, the Snow Queen, absolutely brilliant. I'm slightly obsessed with that book. The creature's bulbous flashiness and questing pseudopodia had me laughing. Yes, it does look like an enormous what's-it. The creature, Ambassador Irato, reminded me of Horta from Star Trek... The original series is episode The Devil in the Dark from 1967. Although that creature is a little cooler, this one is fairly ridiculous, but it is another big creature living down in the dark and terribly misunderstood. I said I was going to talk about Lala Ward's portrayal of Romana. Let's do that now. I'm not a fan of Romana 2, played by Lala Ward. She, Romana, too, seems like a far weaker character than the first Romana. I have nothing against Lala Ward, but it takes an extraordinary force of personality to play opposite Tom Baker, and, unfortunately for her, the audience was spoiled with Louise Jameson's Leela and Mary Tam's Romana 1, both of whom were a very hard act to follow. According to an article I read at TARDIS.FANDOM.COM, which is citing a Doctor Who magazine special edition, Mary Tam suggested Lala Ward as a successor for her, the reasons for which are lost in the mists of time, and who the hell knows when lovies talk. I don't know. I don't know why Mary Tam may or may not have suggested it, what the motivation was, how that came to be, I don't know. David Briley is a deeper voiced and less obsequious sounding and a more likeable canine. I am so sorry, John Leeson, he just is. The scene when Lady Adastra is squashed is very reminiscent of a game that we used to play in childhood. A very dangerous game that children should not play, but I bet you they still do, and that is Bundle. Do you remember that? When you had that mock fight thing, and someone would shout Bundle, and you'd all jump on top of each other. In this case, it is a fatal game of Bundle, and it is a faintly ridiculous death scene. I found it 
interesting that one of the hairy bandits, who seems a little dumb, they all seemed a little dumb, but he actually understood the economic value of scarcity when he says, if there's too much metal around, the value of our loot will diminish. Finally, I cannot help comparing the Doctor pondering the vast number of odds against success in preventing the disaster with the neutron star colliding into the Sun of Chloris, that the precise number was his lucky number, to the odds against Arthur and Ford Prefect getting picked up by the Heart of Gold in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which was a number that improbably was also a phone number of a party that Arthur attended, the one where he initially meets Trillian, not important. It's a tenuous link, I know, but Douglas Adams was a script editor, and you have to wonder, did he suggest that, or did he slip it in? He has form in slipping his own stuff into Doctor Who as a script editor, so I wouldn't have put it past him. Maybe they were just friends and, hey, can I steal that bit from the Hitchhiker's Guide? Sure. Who knows? Trivia. Let us talk trivia. I only have one piece of trivia, and that is related to something I previously said. I have learned since that Ambassador Erato, the creature's comedic, fleshy suggestiveness, had a similar effect on the crew filming, and apparently they fell about laughing, as did I. So much so that they actually had to change the design by adding pincers to the protruding, fleshy organ. <laughs> Frankly, that sounds like it actually made the situation worse. And that is it for my deep and very intellectual and academic analysis of the Doctor Who story from 1979, The Creature from the Pit. I hope you enjoyed it. Sorry about whatever extra sounds you may or may not have heard. I haven't edited this yet, so I don't know. But I do know that my joints have also been cracking and groaning, and maybe some of that has come out in the pod. I hope not. And that, my fellow nerdling travellers and space and time, is it. Ah, that was... A long bit of taping. I started around, let's see, just before midnight. It is now approaching quarter past two in the morning. I am absolutely buggered. Oh. I suppose I have to do the end bits now. Okay, let's do the end bits. This show is made by me. I'm Roy Matur. I'm a writer. Matur is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find more about me or get in touch at RoyMatur.com. If you want to help, please review this in Apple Podcasts. I'm still thinking iTunes. After so long, bloody Apple. Make up your mind. Or whatever platform you listen You can also recommend it to a friend that you like, an enemy that you don't like, 
or a mortal enemy that you really, really, really don't like, or click on the contact or support link on the website. Yes, you can support me with small amounts of cash. I mean, not like cash in an envelope, though that would be lovely, but through the website ko-fi.com. That's K-O-F-I.com. But the specific link is via my website, roymator.com. My wrist just clicked again. There's my little finger. Aging, osteoarthritis, arthritis, arthritis. I keep anthropomorphizing arthritis. I'm dithering. I don't know how to end this now. I don't want to end this now. I just want to sit here. Oh, that was my other wrist cracking. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. You were listening to Captain Roy's Rocket Radio Show, the increasingly creaky podcast for UK science fiction, fantasy, and horror geeks. This was episode 435, recorded on Thursday, the 28th of April, 2022, and the time at the end of this second godforsaken show is 02. 1649. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye for now. Bye. 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 I might add reverb to this. Make it sound all spooky. Not sure yet. Bye.